This episode is sponsored by The International Educator. Many of you know part of my professional background is both in career development and education, which means I get a number of educators asking me how they can launch their careers abroad. If that's you, you need The International Educator, which connects English-speaking teachers with opportunities at international schools around the world. Not only do you find out about vacancies, but you get much-needed information on topics as varied as housing options, tax-free salaries, and professional development. And here's the thing. All subjects and grade levels are needed. For a limited time only, Thai is offering discounts on memberships for Global Chatter listeners. So visit ThaiOnline.com and use the promo code GLOBALCHATTER to save on your membership today. So if you were to ask me how long I've known Kevin Simpson, it literally feels like forever. He's been a contributor and a supporter of the Black Expat, and I've had the privilege of speaking at several events he has hosted over the years. And he's almost always the first person I think of and reach out to when I need insight on issues related to diversity, inclusion, and international schools. But in reality, I first met him in 2020 in the aftermath of what proved to be a pivotal year when it seemed the work we were both doing intersected. Kevin is a teacher, advocate, community builder, and a leader. He is the founder of the Association of International Educator Leaders of Color, also known as ALOC, which is devoted to amplifying the work of international educators and leaders of color with a focus on advocacy, learning, and research. Kevin launched the organization in 2017 after a colleague shared her experiences on Facebook of being discouraged from applying for a leadership position at her international school due to her race and country of origin. It was from that story that a vibrant, engaged global community was formed and has since spawned international conferences, mentorship and fellowship programs, a recruitment service and more. In this episode, you'll hear his early years in Flint, Michigan, and how his career interests took a detour in college. You will hear about a coveted and unlikely internship in Washington, D.C. that laid the groundwork and skills for the advocacy work he does today. And you'll also hear him share why he's out to disrupt and dismantle the systems that gatekeep. If there's one thing you'll get from Kevin, it's absolute realness and the inability to hold back. Welcome to the Global Chatter. All right, we're back with the latest episode of the Global Chatter podcast. And I feel like if you've been in these Black expat streets, you've heard me say this name because for whatever reason, I either reference him, call him up. Occasionally he shows up on an event. Sometimes I show up at his event. You never know what's going to happen. But he's he's a name that if you have been in this space for a while, He's not a new name. It's almost like Christine Job for me. And in terms of of thinking about who has been a contact, who has been a partner, who's been a friend. And so Kevin Simpson, welcome to the chatter officially, even though you have been referenced <laughs> in many episodes. Well, thank you. It's good to be on the chatter. <laughs> you know, and I, and it's funny because as I when I reached out to you right before I reached out to you, I thought to myself, I've never actually had him tell his story, which is wild <laughs> yeah. because I feel like I've told 
parts of my story in your platforms and with your groups and your spaces, which we will talk about that kind of amazing work because you really are your own lane with that. Like, you know, sometimes people say folks are in their own lane. And I'm like, no, there are people who they are like one or one of two. And you're really in like a lane. But I realized that I've, I I don't think we've done kind of the personal side of your space and, and really how it ties to your work. So I'm excited to have you here. It'll probably be crazy. It's all good. You know, we'll just roll with whatever happens. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Where are you currently in the world right now? Where are you sitting? Currently sitting, um, <laughs> sitting on stolen land here in Chicago land to be. Yeah. There's an intro. Exact. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell it like it is. Not surprising, but that mm-hmm. there's an intro. But where are you normally? And I know you travel all the time, but where are you typically based? Yeah, so typically I'm based out of Dallas, Texas. So and I've so been that, there for a few years now. That's home base. Okay. That's home base. Right. I claim I that. Claim, claim that it? place is home base for now. Good, good for you. So I, I know a lot of places I ain't claiming, but I <laughs> but I can say I was there. And so tell us a little bit. Where did you grow up? Yeah. So I am, I always like to say, I'm a kid from Flint, Michigan. Grew up and born and raised in the, the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And so I got to see, you know, the ni- 80s and 90s of Flint. Wow. Um, high time when General Motors was booming. Um, a lot of my family worked in the factory. We were part of the mass migration from South Carolina up to the Midwest when they found out that they were hiring. You had a high school education. Yeah. Um, you had these interests. Uh, my aunts and uncles all worked in, you know, Fisher Body, General Motors, wow, uh, different um, industries, uh, Ford, from yeah. Detroit to Flint. And I think you touched on something I tend to end up asking a lot, particularly of Black Americans, and it's that migration move, right? Whenever, whenever I talk to folks, I'm like, "Where did your Where did your people start?" And every now and then they're like, where where they are is where they started. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they think especially when you talk about the Midwest, what was Flint like in the 70s and the 80s? Obviously, it's been in the news for yeah. for some not really nice reasons. Right. Um, but, but as someone who's from Flint, yeah. what was Flint like? You know what? Growing up as a kid there, I mean, it was booming. You know, I remember the malls downtown. Um, church, social functions, concerts, there was always something going on in Flint. Mm. Um, and obviously a lot of the economy um, centered around General Motors. So, I mean, auto world we had, you know what I mean? Like there was always yeah. something going on. There were opportunities at the different universities. So you had Kettering, formerly GMI, um, University mm-hmm. of Michigan, my community college. So it was booming. So like my yeah. youth years, we again, we always had some between Flint and Detroit. There was always something going on. You know, it's like there was no need to leave the area. <laughs> right. What's fascinating, as I think, is when I hear people describe kind of their hometowns and when they grew up, you know, we hear modern day and often what's interesting, I think, with talking, especially with black folks, a lot of the places where they grow up, there's some negativity attached to it. Yeah. But we don't always hear like the positive and we don't always hear the fuller story. Right. And so I, obviously I think you're alluding to the fact that as the economy changed, right. And, and, and I guess as, as people sort of shifted in terms of the way they worked and the, and the opportunities that probably had an impact in the area, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So you saw that, you know, the migration out, obviously when you saw General Motors shifting jobs out, you know, you saw people leaving and fleeing, you know, I mean, that was, you know, after I finished student teaching, because I student taught, 
in mm. Flint. We were called Flint okay. Turns. Um, and so <laughs> I know. Very so creative. you taught for know, one, right? I, I know. So you taught for <laughs> one full year as a okay. part of the Michigan State University program. And you started your master's program. So you got graduate credits, but you also were also a student teacher. And I remember, you know, your the, the job opportunities weren't, you know, plentiful, you know. Mm-hmm. And even that same year when I was looking, folks in Detroit and some of the other areas were getting pink slipped. And yeah. so, you know, when I was beginning my education career, I had to look outside of the state for opportunities. Wow. And you know what? Let me ask you this question because you, you talked about the teaching. Was your population predominantly underrepresented, as we would say, minority, or was it majority students? So in the U.S., that would be white for those who aren't in the U.S. Or was it a mix? Like who, what was, what was kind of the makeup of the community in general? Yeah, great question. So Flint, where I taught, it was predominantly African-American, predominantly Black. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. And is that, was that reflective of Flint as a community? Yeah. Or was there a division somewhere? Yeah. During that time, there was, I mean, for the most part, you'll see there's Flint Powers to the Catholic school that's there. And that sort of moved from one spot to the next. So that's where the, you know, you see more white folks going to school, but they're not necessarily living in Flint. Okay. So exactly. Yeah. So, but for the most part, the schools of Flint school district is predominantly black, predominantly African-American. So it seems like growing up, you <laughs> grew up in Flint, yeah. went to Michigan schools, went to Michigan colleges, right? And then started teaching right. in the in the space. Wow. Okay. Did you know from a young age you wanted to be an educator? I didn't. You know what? Written, it's, it's, <laughs> Wait, it's, did you say not? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, no. You could, if you asked me back in the day, especially when I was younger, middle mm-hmm. school, high school, I feel elementary, you know, didn't quite know, but, um, and I feel like, you know, grocery store, I'm like, Ooh, one day I want to have a, you know, and it wasn't really a career. It was like, Oh, it would be fun to work in these different places where we were, you know, frequent, but it was law. And it was interesting that it was civil rights law. So once Hmm. I ran and learned about Thurgood Marshall, Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas, 1954, I just like, dove in and was like all in. And so everything was around like public speaking opportunities. It was around language. It was around literature. Um, I would see different stories of Mm -hmm. different individuals from around the world who'd overcome a challenge and a difficulty. So it's interesting because I remember most recently someone, I was telling someone, I feel like part of what I do now at times is I'm a lobbyist. You know, it's mm-hmm. relationship work, yeah. it, getting to know individuals, yeah. organizations, sort of where they're at, but also where they aspire to be. Um, and then how does it connect with the work that we're doing at ALOC, which I know we'll talk about. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was not originally education. So what what was it that kind of pushed you towards pursuing education then? Yeah, great question. So my freshman year at Michigan State University, one of the, let's see, what was that? The third jobs that I had. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, trying to figure yourself out. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, once I figured out at KFC, they were, you know, they were throwing away food after <laughs> <laughs> just All being right. real honest. I mean, I worked at Arby's. I understand. So you understand. <laughs> right. So once they said, well, we, well, the timer is over, we have to throw away this food. I'm like, that just didn't sit well with, <laughs> right. with my spirit and being. So that was a day job. Right. <laughs> and then, right. 
And then the survey research, I mean, it was um, fun to call people up and talk to them and <laughs> try to get them to complete the survey, you know, and I yeah. did well, but it was the Young Spartan program or YSP, they called it at Michigan State, which was the, the eye opener into the world of education for me. And so gotcha. I served as a student coordinator. Mm-hmm. So I was housed in an elementary school in Lansing School District. I worked directly alongside a principal. Um, and I remember day one, Dr. Elizabeth Turpin, you know, meeting, greeting, getting to know her. And she had this list. It's like, these are things I want you to work on, on during the course of, you know, your time here, which was going to be like that semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were, you know, renew and figure out if this was a fit. Well, most of that stuff was done within like two, three days. <laughs> so she, you know, was, was looking like, wait a minute. You started this, this, you know, but it was really getting to know the teachers, connecting with them, getting to know the students um, that were in the building and then creating and crafting programs for them. So I think that's where it was the aha of this is actually fun. I'm having fun with, you know, these teachers and these students and creating these writing clubs and math clubs, you know, based on um, her big goals that she had for the school and collaborating with them. And so I hadn't even applied because I was originally, um, pre-law, political mm-hmm. science with James Madison College. It was a college within a college at Michigan State. Very competitive to get in. And then I had heard the College of Education at Michigan State was difficult to get in. Everyone said it. It's like, oh, it's difficult. If you don't get in by your second year, people leave and transfer to go to other schools to get in the College of Education. Well, I applied my second year and got in. You know, so right. <laughs> got in, did their, you know, process of, you know, write your essays. And I had been working with the Young Spiring Program. So I was able to talk about yeah. my experiences directly with that. So I got in and I started that journey in double major with political science, pre-law and um, education. You know, I was a poli-sci social major, so I okay. feel, oh, yeah. and then, of course, we were talking offline and then one of the uh, graduate degrees is in ed. So I feel, uh, I'm feeling all oh, of yeah what you're saying, because I think similarly for me, people, right? Just what you said was really interesting about ALOC, mm-hmm. lobbying, advocating, relationship building, yeah. community building, strategizing, consulting. Mm-hmm. It's like, these are all these things that I can sort of see the roots in your story. And yeah. so even working when you were working with that school in Lansing, mm-hmm. was that, what was sort of the makeup of that school? Mm-hmm. Good question. Real diverse. So yeah. I had kids from like different backgrounds everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine, and I, I love that because as, as, especially as I'm thinking kind of the future you and what would come down the road, it's like mm-hmm. sort of that preparation. Yeah. Did you, and, and this feels like we're going a little bit back, but I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere this yeah. up until that point in your life. Right. You talked about your family originally coming from South Carolina, doing that, you know, the the mass, the black migration, mass yeah. migration up to the Midwest. Did you travel either internationally or even locally? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. A lot of times our trips were like growing up. I mean, memorable trips were Florida, mm-hmm. um, South Carolina, more summers, you know, to visit mm-hmm. like grandparents, family, aunts, yep, uncles, yeah. family. Uh, Detroit. I mean, we went to Detroit. <laughs> yeah, aunts, uncles. Like I've been to Detroit, and I'm <laughs> sorry, it's different I mean, than I mean, okay, yeah, you know, okay, it ain't Florida, it ain't right. South Carolina. It's, I mean, but it's Detroit. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Right. So those yeah. were, I mean, most of our sort of trips growing up, unless it was like a camp. So anytime mm. we went to a different camp, it would be they were all over Michigan. I mean, there were yeah. some of these rural cities. I mean, I went yeah. to Michigan State for camp university. So there were a lot of times it was at a college. 
So okay. I remember going to Grand Valley State, Saginaw Valley State, Michigan State, you know, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. So all over the state of Michigan, um, even on up to the Upper Peninsula at times for like leadership you went to stuff. To the UP, to the UP. <laughs> Don't ask why I know about the. UP. It's really random why I know about some UP. I actually know like thirty people from. Wow. You don't. And and they. Y'all know they got to show this is a Michigan thing. I'm yes. like, the first time they said, we're from the UP. I'm like, where's the UP? And they got to show me the hand. And exactly. Like, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, good to know. I hear it's pretty. It is pretty, especially in summer. Right. Because I think winter is probably, yeah, not not the wave. Right. And so, you know, you graduate. I'm curious, what did you, what were you intending on teaching or what did you end up teaching? Mm, yeah, good question. So I had, so Mission State, you went through, we had experience wise, you had middle school experience, you had elementary experience, you know, heavy literacy, heavy mathematics. And so for me, I said, okay, I want to focus on elementary education before I sort of okay. switched and started doing more focus on like math and tech. Okay. And I was, I did, we, we were, I think junior year, we were with middle school classes in Lansing. And then, and then I elected, cause you could sort of elect what type of context you want to be in. And mm-hmm. so I said, I want to be more urban and, you know, most likely go back to Michigan. That was my yeah. thinking. And so I was in the Lansing public school districts versus Okemos, which was a little bit more suburban. So yeah. different uh, context wise. And then I, before I student taught, I was in kindergarten it was like three guys in a kindergarten class so i had that range of experiences from That's like actually most, kind of amazing i know k to eight <laughs> sorry <laughs> k to eight mostly all subjects and then um yeah graduated and went to so even after you know after i graduated i went to washington dc because mm-hmm. i had before i graduated from michigan state i got accepted as a white house intern so this is, I know, random. Did you just slide that story? <laughs> so you there. did, so you did do it. And I oh, did yes, it. you did. I did it, yeah. It was like, oh, and because I was not going to do it. So I was like, oh, I'm getting ready to, you know, do my internship in Flint. So I put a <laughs> veered in another direction, <laughs> got this White House internship and took it. And yeah, did that. Okay. <laughs> I, I did not anticipate that. <laughs> so let's talk about that for a moment. Which, who was president? Oh, yes. So the year was 1998. <laughs> Let's see if you know. Oh, that would have been the end of the Clinton era. Exactly. So I was a daring to President yeah. Bill Clinton. You know. Wow. What oh, yeah. <laughs> was that? Was that? Wait a minute. You said 1998. Uh, uh, I know. So you remember that year, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was in summer 98 before the fall, you know, in the States. Yeah. <laughs> did you see Monica? I did not. But look, I did not. But she was before. Okay. She was before. But she was before. It was before yeah. us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why I was trying to do the math in my. And I was like, no, I no, know. no. You're right. That's when. That's when the legal part was mm-hmm. rolling down. Right. It yep. had already. It had already occurred. Yeah. Wow. That, I mean. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like I just want to leave that alone. But what? What made you? I mean, obviously, it's a prestigious opportunity, right? right? Yeah. What made you want to do that opportunity? And what do you think you got out of doing that? Yeah, no, great question. For me, it was, because again, like I said, I was like, oh, this was unexpected. You know, I knew I applied for it. I didn't know I was going to actually get it. Um, For me, my thinking was, okay, it's a few months. It was the summer, you know, Mm -hmm. before getting ready to do my student teaching. So that was one. 
Um, but two, again, like you're saying, it was just prestigious. Like how many people, there's 206 of us that were selected out of how many thousands of people who applied? Right. You know, nationwide. Yeah. Nationwide. And then the whole, when you, uh, arrived and figured out which office you would be working in. So there were three of us selected to work in the office of student correspondence. So hmm. any student from anywhere in the world who sent a letter or student work or projects to the president, that was our office. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you can wow. only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> the colors and the art the and crayons, Oh, yeah. You know, from everything. From the clearly you're talented at five to clearly yeah. you know how to do your stick figures, but it's cute. And then exactly. we're, we're going to look at it. Yeah. So that was like, it was, it was pretty amazing because I think at that point, um, and I have been working, you know, college wise, yeah. but to be yeah. number one in Washington, D.C. This is and this is where I wanted to go. Actually, let's stop in that number one, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking at this point, whatever, been the Midwest doing your thing. Yeah. I was born in D.C. Yeah. as a as you know, D.C. is something. Well, gentrification is a thing. Right. But D.C. is still and was at least at that time, predominantly black. Correct. Right. There was a history and a culture, yeah. right? Especially if you know U Street, especially mm-hmm. if you know some of the, if you know parts of Anaconda, like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? If yep. you know that whole area of, up until Silver Spring into Maryland, yeah. there's a whole space there. And so I think I've tried to imagine for you, uh-huh. what was D.C.? I mean, yes, White House, cool. But what was right. D.C. an experience? Because that's, it, because this country is so big, right. it's like traveling to different countries, exactly. even though you're an American, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it was, and I think I had a, so I, we sort of, I called her my big sister. So Toya, who's now Dr. Younger, she had went, she was a year ahead of me. Okay. And so she had went through, she was the one that sent me the internship experience. She's like, oh, here's some DC in- internships if you want to apply. Yeah. And so she was working for um, representative then Bruce Vento okay. um, out of Minnesota. And she went through James Madison, pre-law, everything she sent me those opportunities. So I had at least one contact there. So when I arrived there, I stayed, I think with her and her flat for a couple of weeks before I went to student housing at Gallaudet university. Yeah. And so again, so most days, I mean, we were working like full days. So you work full days in the old executive office building. You had, again, you had access to the white house cause they did our background, you know, check right. screen. Yeah. Right. And then after, you know, sort of after leaving sort of the work environment, like you're saying, you're experiencing DC. And for me, I went to networking events. I went to learning opportunities. I was, cause even they had stuff within the white house, our internship, they were like, Hey, you can sign up to go on these different tours. You're yeah. going to have um, different um, officials from around the world coming. So they were, and our director was very big on, Hey, this is up and coming. I want y'all to take advantage of it. So she sort of pushed us to, you know, make sure that we were signing up, taking advantage of things around the city during the day and during the evening. So I think there was always those networking opportunities. But again, I think the eyes wide open for me happened when, you know, because DC, you know, I still call it Chocolate City. So yeah. having a <laughs> black professional um, cadre around the city, yeah. I think that's what really planted the seed because I'm, when I interact with individuals, you know, obviously you're going to talk about where you're from and, you know, what you do or whatever, but it's also what are your other goals? Where do you see yourself? Yeah. So a lot of those conversations really were planted in and why it was a seed into me 
you know, doing more when it came to education, doing more mm-hmm. when it came to school, you know, and not saying, like, okay, I just finished this. I'm going to do my student internship. And then what? And so I yeah. felt I met a great group of folks who just, that's what that, that was the energy, you know, that yeah. they were about, about, oh, I'm going to think about law school. I'm thinking about this and political science. I'm thinking about this within education. So I felt like I was surrounded by so many individuals that encouraged me you know, to further my education and learning and growing and things like that. So that definitely was a value add. And so I assume after that, you returned and got back on the path to teach. Yep. Yep. Did you return to Michigan or did you go somewhere else? Yeah. Went back to um, Michigan, finished my Flint term ship in, oh, in, in, the, in the city. That's what we call Fine. Flint term. I mean, it's, I mean, no, it was cute. I just, wow. <laughs> Shout out to whoever thought, who put a lot of thought into that, but it worked. Exactly. So did the Flint term ship for a year and then did, um, started grad school. So after I finished that one year, I actually went back to Michigan state in full time. Cause we had, um, I think it was like 12, we had so many credits. You, earned while you were because you had classes and you were of teaching full time. So I just went and decided to over that next year and I think a summer almost finish out my finish out grad school. Yeah. And what did you what did you get your master's in? So it was in curriculum and teaching. So it's curriculum and instruction. Okay. Yeah. And and I feel like this is like explains why you know a lot of stuff that you know <laughs> on top of the experience. Yeah. And so there's gonna be a point in your story and we'll get uh-huh. to it in a moment where you go international. Right. And right? which is interesting because at Michigan state going <laughs> back to that, when I went that summer, that was the next seed because I met someone who was in my class who said, just, we were in talking, I introduced ourselves. He said, Oh, when the summer's done, I'm going back to London. That right there was the beginning of the international <laughs> school, school world. <laughs> Cause when he said that, I'm like, we need to have lunch. <laughs> Right. And you know what? And this would not be a surprise to you at all. The educators that I have come on here, clearly they have an international story. Many of them, there's maybe the one or two who was a third culture kid, right? Maybe or had some kind of that story. But it it is always that they met this one person from somewhere. They didn't even go to that place where that one person was, but they met this one person. And all of a sudden it was like, wait, I can do this. And I think especially for those who come from underrepresented groups. I think especially if you're black or brown, right? You're not necessarily thinking, you know, I can take this and go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And there's always a question, and and maybe it's almost unfair, but there's always a question I always ask the black educators. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure there's, you have answered this question because you have been asked. And it's always the question around when we get there. Mm around okay you've been teaching black and brown kids here <laughs> you're not in your head mm-hmm. i didn't finish why are you going abroad right and taking your skills when you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right. So this is the question that, you know, I'm always interested in when people take their careers abroad. What was the catalyst that drove you to take your career abroad and where did you go to first? You know, going back to, you know, D.C. and government policy. So I've always been like, you know, ed geek policy wonk on that side. So anytime any major education shifts happen, I would literally sit and read. No Child Left Behind, for example, you know, <laughs> things of that nature. Man, do you know how many children were left behind? <laughs> I, every time I see stuff, I'm like, oh, y'all, look at you, product of child's left behind. <laughs> I know. Well, many a child. Yeah, anyway, exactly. carry on. <laughs> so, I, so I remember reading, you know, sweeping legislation coming for the entire U.S., you know, 2004, 2005. Yeah. And I just thought, like, this might be the time, which again, this is at this point, four years after I had met someone who looked like me, who was like, I'm going to London at the end of the summer when I was in graduate school. Mm -hmm. And then at that point I had a mentee who was like, Oh, I'm going to teach in Sudan. So I'm like, Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) kids need to be educated there too. It's just, yeah. Exactly. So for me, I felt like, well, that might be the time, you know, to look at opportunities abroad um, since there's going to be some changes in yeah. sweeping changes in the yeah. United States landscape. Um, and then that's when I started to look, you know, and talk to my mentee uh, around sort of the trajectory he took. And I learned about international school services. I learned about search associates. Mm-hmm. I learned about back then CIS was also doing recruitment and, um, I just, I think I, I registered with, I didn't pay. So I registered with someone for free. I want to say when I was like CIS, someone right. was free. Yeah. And, you know, then it was like, you sign up and you're um, in the database and they will send you information, you know, you can apply and things like that. And so I started, you know, people started to reach out, you know, about opportunities and, and teaching. So based on what I had ticked, which at that point I said, you know, either, because I had been doing curriculum work in Fairfax County. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing curriculum work. I've been doing some coaching, school improvement work. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point I've been a teacher as well. Um, cause I moved after Michigan, I went to Virginia. So I went mm-hmm. back to the DMV as we call it, or DC, right. Maryland, Virginia area. Virginia is better than Maryland. Sorry. I, my family's, Ooh. my family lives in Virginia. So I, Mar- okay. <laughs> let me not talk about them. 
I lived I in all three. I, 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 I have I have lived in all three. I was okay. born in one, and yeah. I uh, I, yeah, I'm biased. I was born in Howard. <laughs> I feel oh, like I say yeah. this every time I convention DC on this podcast. <laughs> I was like, I was born at Howard Hospital. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so ended up um, you know, getting these different opportunities that would come through, you know, email and looking and seeing the schools yeah. and the companies and. Um, I remember getting offered, I was like, wow, I got an offer in Egypt. I'm like, wow, I got an offer in Dubai. And I'm like, wow, I got an offer in Southeast Asia. Yeah. And so for me, I figure, let's, you know, where would I probably not see myself going? You know, that was the way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, because I, I, I mean, I'd heard of Dubai because at that point I had like a, a good friend in Mission yeah. State was from there. Um, obviously, I had heard of Egypt, but I'm like, Vien Chin Laos. I'm like, I don't know that much about, you know. You know that's wow. how I got to New Mexico. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and for the back in the day, people still were like, when I was said I lived in New Mexico, do you need a passport? So let me not, I don't want anybody to get oh. confused. This, yeah, I know. Once again, children left behind. Anyway, right. and, but that's the same way I got to New Mexico, real talk, because I had yeah. offers for other stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'd go mm-hmm. to California. I'd go to, you know, Virginia. Right. I'd go to whatever. New Mexico. And this was before Breaking Bad was even a thing. So, like, it wasn't, mm. nobody ever thought about it. And so, yeah, right. I understand how you got mm. to Laos. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, they reached out. They were consistent with messaging. Any questions I asked, they answered. I did my my Skype interview yeah. with the head of school, then John Ritter, still in contact with. Mm. Um, and then they had said they're going to be in the Virginia area. Mm-hmm. So, I said, okay, let me, because at that point I was still looking and they were, they were encouraged me. They were like, look, check out other schools and things. Let us know. Um, but I always was, I was in communication with them. And so when they came to the area and I met Joe and I went through their website and everything, met with Jody Nilsson, who was then over the primary school. Um, mm-hmm. Great conversation, great questions. I like how she was asking vision and mission specific questions. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm like, y'all have specific questions y'all are asking. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't yeah. random. Yeah. Um, I felt like, again, we were engaged in this intellectual conversation that I would want right. to be engaged in when it came right. to an international school, but also sharing like what they're working on. Like we're working towards this. We have some stuff around accreditation, mm-hmm. but also they were saying, and we're going to have other leadership opportunities opening up. Sold right there. <laughs> Sold right there. And so I, I was hired as a grade five teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were two of us. I worked with Lara. She was from, um, who was Lara from? Lara was from, uh, Lara from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and I mean, I had ambassadors kids from like Brunei, Australia in the class. And then they, uh, those opportunities, they said, you know, accreditation is going to be coming the next year. And we're probably going to have something around uh, with, you know, working with teaching and learning and curriculum coordinator apply for it and got it. And so, <laughs> right. Everything that they said, they delivered on, including, you know, the whole process of transitioning from the States over. Like, yeah. it was smooth. I had a mentor, Bruce, that I had. I had, they were oh. answering questions. Joanne was there. Wow. I, you know, because I only had like a couple months. Like, I want to say once I said yes, it was like, you got almost three months to get yeah. yourself organized yeah. out. You yeah. Know? And here's here's what I, I'm curious to know, right? So you, first of all, you make the decision to teach abroad be an educator abroad, be a leader abroad. You make the decision to do it, to go to a country where a lot of people don't necessarily know. They either have limited information or don't even know where it is and what it is. 
my immediate thought is, okay, Black man, what is your family and your friends thinking when you decide you're going to Laos, which right. may sound like an insect, right? And we were like, I, what? Right. <laughs> in Virginia? Where? Right. You know what? <laughs> I got everything. <laughs> I remember those. I remember those interactions. Well, how was the reaction? What were people thinking? I mean, again, people, I had the people who knew I was an adventurer, you know, took these road trips, was always going somewhere. Um, when I was 19, I won a free trip to Africa from Young Sisters and Brothers magazine. So, I mean, <laughs> I'd been overseas, you know, at that point. Yeah. Um, but it was, so you had the people who weren't shocked. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, we knew this. was. Then you had the people, like, even my mom, like the family, that varied. But for most of my mom, my mom has always been like, go, do, live, be. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. That's actually really good. You're out? Okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. You know, and so, again, it was this range of reactions, but. Yeah, but most of our people were supportive. You know, right. even though people were like, where? Yeah, <laughs> right. Because like, I don't know where it is, but go ahead and do it. Right, exactly. exactly. Well, and that's good because that's not always necessarily the case, right? And right. I know that you work with educators and you know, you work with people coming from all different places mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily the story, right? Because right. there's that fear and that concern. Yeah. And so I think for, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what is life like? And you've traveled, but what's yeah. life like for a black man in Laos? <laughs> it is interesting. So, and I mean, we hear this often that, you know, when you're at the school, it can feel like a bubble at times, of course. you know, because you walk in the, the building and it's generally, everything's in English, you know, yeah. speaking and everything. But once you leave that school, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you know, we had a loud language class and we, you know, they said, do y'all want to continue? And we were like, yes, you yeah. know, I would, <laughs> I would love to continue because when I leave the school, I need to have some functioning language, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was great again, because they built that in and that was like a core component of our being onboarded, which I, again, I love because they did all that. It was like, not just the, we were introduced to the culture, the country, you know, obviously geography, but also the language. Mm. Um, and we had language class for a couple of weeks and we went out and used it after you learned it, which was great. But, um, yeah, soon taught I was everywhere, which means you're tall, <laughs> like soon taught I. So I learned that very quick. Right. Like, you, me, you saying soon taught I, that means I'm tall, you right. know? but people were, I mean, people were always friendly, you know, wherever yeah. I went, you know, obviously, you know, I, I got some of the stairs, I got the, you know, the height comparison, but yeah. you know, people were very friendly, very respectful, you know, obviously trying to figure out where is he from? Of course. You know, French, they were a French um, colony, you know, so mm-hmm. it was heavy. So they're French. Is he Canadian? Is he American? Open oh, my mouth, they figured it out, you know, right. for the most part. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was, the thing I loved about it, it was small. It did. It, it wasn't a big, big city. And so I felt like it was, for that being the first time living and working overseas, it mm-hmm. was, it was ideal. You know, I didn't feel lost. I didn't feel like a number i felt like there were places where i can go and i got to know people within the community um who had lived there who were you know from there beyond the, the you know confines of the school and so i felt like that was that was definitely a plus so i think with that being sort of your first prof- your first educator mm-hmm. experience clearly you you had been teaching at that point and you know you're going to move on and go to other countries I'm, I am intrigued then as we think about your current work, right? Yeah. What sort of sparked, because you worked in Laos, 
you worked in UAE, you did work in Qatar, you've been doing consulting, and, and that seems to be a thread throughout your career in general, right? But I am curious then, what were the things and the challenges you were starting to see or maybe that you felt were happening, particularly working in these international school spaces and, and particularly maybe with underrepresented educators and leaders? Yeah, I felt, I mean, definitely one thing was visually, you know, wherever I went, um, I was one of not many. Um, so that representation was rare. Um, and I hear educators now like, oh, if 10 years ago, ALOC was around or if the association, you know, was around, you know, I probably would still be, you know, abroad. Um, and so I think that was a piece. Um, but when it came to professional learning and professional development, training, again, wasn't a lot representation wise. Um, so, again, it was always seeing it, you know, never really saying thing. And then, it, you know, it became, oh, the elephant in the room or. Things that we don't really talk about, you know, that was being spoken, you know, I'd hear at times. Um, and then obviously on the leadership side, same thing. So it's like you constantly saw the same people, white folk, white folk, white folk, all over. And I'm like, okay, we're in Asia. Okay, I'm now here in Africa and different places I would travel. And it was the same in a lot of these different contexts. And then I think sort of later, because the the impetus of starting ALOC was because a one of our colleagues, a black woman, was told, don't apply for that job. They want a white British man. So when that happened almost six years ago, wow. you know, it wasn't just her story. It became all these other stories of, oh, yeah, I was told, you know, my hijab or my religion or being this or my accent was a reason why I didn't get this or my passport, where which country I came from. That's why I couldn't proceed forward or I couldn't. You know, I wasn't considered for a leadership job. It was all these stories that, you know, I was, people were sharing. I'm just like, what is this? And so when I set up the Facebook affinity space for um, then what was called International Education Leaders of Color, that was the question. It was like, is this, or is, or in starting to invite people in, having people invite people in who were identified as, you know, Latino, Black, Asian, Indigenous, biracial, multiracial that were working or want to work in this space was asking that question is this y'all having the same experience you know just make sure like it's not just me and this is what i'm hearing this is what happened to a colleague who i was serving as her reference for which mm. is how that got back to me because i was asking her like she was applying for a higher level job as a head of a school and when i checked in with her that was what i was told and i was like huh like 2017 also that's kind of bold look can we talk about this for a moment yeah, we can <laughs> it's a little bold to just come out and say it because I think some of us might be a little bit used, at least used to the dignity, the dignity of the covert. Like, uh -huh. do you right. know what I mean? At least yeah. let's just massage this. Right. But for someone to very overtly tell someone, mm -hmm. not that you're not qualified, right. not that we don't even think you can't, that you can't do it. Right. We want this profile. Yeah. Yep. And that's exactly. optics, right? Because that's yeah. not even speaking to whether that imaginary, well, it's not imaginary. There are plenty of white British men who are <laughs> running right. schools. But that is speaking to the idea that they're actually good at what their job is by the way they look. Yep, exactly. So it's like, and she was beyond qualified. I'm like, startup, IB, you name it. Yeah. Directed, I'm like, what else could you do? You're number two at the school. What region like, What region of the world was this bike? Middle Korea? East. Mm. 
<laughs> you look at you like, look, I'm gonna tell you. Oh, <laughs> you, I, I know you don't care. You be I like, look, me. let me tell you, let me tell you who it was. Who it was was not. But right. so, so, and and who, I guess, and I. So here's the thing. You and I have talked about this stuff. So this we're not brand new to this, right? But I'm putting it in the mind of people who are listening to this right now who don't understand mm-hmm. the level of obstacles and challenges. So one of the things I, you know, I've had Estelle Hughes on. Yeah. Love Estelle because she's Cameroonian. Anyway, and oh, she yeah. told a story right. beginning of this year, actually, that I think just kind of resonated with folks where she talks about being invited to speak being invited for opportunities and because of that passport she couldn't even get the visa right and and because professional choices have been shifted because she's got that Cameroonian passport and so can you shine a little bit like let's talk about for the uninitiated because I want to make sure people get this can you talk a little bit of the very real challenges that you see black educators and leaders face who are pursuing or trying to progress within an international school space? Oh, yeah. So I have encountered, I go through lists, encountered folks who PhD in education numerous years, you know, so we're talking about decades, two decades of experience has been learning, may have been like learning specialist, support, instructional coach, administrator, um, who've attempted to apply for administrator jobs, which be the equivalent, but in it from states or wherever, Canada, anywhere, um, in international schools and taking a teaching job. Hmm. So I've seen that numerous times. Um, so I have, yeah. So I think that's probably one of the, the biggest ones that I've seen. And even in the midst of schools saying, you know, we want diversity. We're hiring for diversity. Because even with mm-hmm. that, I'm like, that's always a flag for us. Because I'm like, you know, we're gonna talk inclusion right now. Let's talk history, history, their history, and exclusion. Like, let's yeah. talk full picture. You know, before yeah. we say, oh, we're doing this, or we are this, or we want this. Because then, you know, our question, I was like, why now? You know, so because that hasn't been the history of when I look at your heads of schools, your directors, your board and your leadership teams. And there's data to prove and look at all this, you know, right. No. Right. So because no one's doing stuff for optics. And as who is it? Dr. Jennifer Beckwith likes to say, no one's going to come into a house that's on fire. Because I know we're not going to tell people to go there, you know, because we started to do a little bit of work with recruitment. Right. Focus on our A-line schools and then others, we vet them. Right. Again, we're not going to put our name on a school that has mm-hmm. all these different issues. Right. And people will come back and look at us, you know. Right. And so for us, it is that these international schools really need to deal with their anti-blackness. Let's just be blunt <laughs> and just call it as it is. That when I look on the continent of Africa and I don't see, you know, let's start with just African leaders at some of these international schools, let alone anyone else. That's a problem, you know, and when I hear students at the school, either alumni or current students saying, when is there going to be a, someone on the leadership team that looks like us, you know, in our country, and you're not listening to that, that's a problem, you know, and so, you know, for us, obviously, it is to disrupt and dismantle the system that has been in place for a lot, since the, <laughs> the onset, 
you know, right. in international schools. So those statements like we want, because I've seen her, we want a white man. I'm like, well, why? You know, is it like, what is that going to do? You know, <laughs> I want someone highly qualified here that cares about kids, One number one, and knows how to lead, you know, and understands the nuances of the culture and the country. You know, but y'all are so fixated, some are so fixated on a face. Like, not I, you know, I need high quality. You know, that's what I want to suggest in this context. And so, again, for us, it's calling it out, calling it in, and, you know, working towards dismantling and disrupting it. So, let me ask you this then, because you've worked with a lot of schools, you worked with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some interactions are probably more positive than others. Mm-hmm. Looking at the international school landscape, where do you or where have you encountered or the folks you work with encountered the pushback? Ooh, good question. To be honest, it's everywhere. Okay. Oh, I'm well. just being honest. <laughs> I feel like I feel like people are still in that they do what they're comfortable. Um, they do what's comfortable. Meaning, let's read a book. Let's go to this PD. You know, let's invite such and such in to talk to it. I'm like, show me accountability and action plan and how you monitoring it. Show me your strategic plan. Show me some data, you know, and show me that it's a community-wide effort that everyone knows, not siloed in places. And so that's what we focus on, you know, because when folks come and say, hey, we're interested in being in the ALOC school. Mm-hmm. Here's the list. Here are the expectations. <laughs> and we know you probably don't have all of them in place. <laughs> but we expect you to be working towards <laughs> them and we're going to support you. That That's the most gracious response. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to me, back in your head or back in your mind, you're like, you know what? First of all, we know how raggedy the situation is. This is why you're here. And, right. I, and, and here's the thing. And I was talking about something off there. But here's where I think it's sometimes very... When you're a leader of something like this, you always have to be mindful of yeah. people wanting you to co-sign oh, yeah. on stuff just so that they can say, mm-hmm. yes, we are diverse. Yes, we are inclusionary. Right. Yes, we have equity. You know, there's mm-hmm. equity because they know you've got a name and that name has power and yeah. you've got influence. Right. Yeah. And it's always like, but this is work. Like, this isn't just, and this is work for everyone, right? Because I think all of us have our blind spots and our biases. So it's Mm -hmm. not even like, I'm not even mad that you have that, right? Because I've got my own. But it's the reality is, do you truly authentically want to make this better? Because one of the things that I, you know, I always wonder, eh, it's not that I wonder, I think that sometimes it's a cop out, but whatever, is... You know, when you look at international schools, do people also want to kind of hide behind the parents? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. But the thing is, they haven't actually involved the parents or asked the parents. Well, they just want to right. assume, oh, our parents wouldn't want that. Exactly. Did you ask them? Exactly. <laughs> right. And where do your parents want their kids to go to school and universities? And in what context? And then think about that context that they're going to be in. And that's just like you said, did, they, did you even ask them? And it's like, if the parents are that difficult... You know what I mean? Because it, they, and it's always parents plural. And I'm like, well, who, who are you know? What I mean, I'm like, who are they? Point them out. Where are they at? Right. You know, right. how are you engaging and enlightening and informing? And what's your parent learning plan look like? You know what I mean? What's your PLP right. look like? Right. You know, so you know, I think it is. It's been a. It to me, it's one of those deflectors. It's one of those. I can. I wait for. I wait for them to say it. 
Because I know, I know <laughs> me. Say, well, our parents want, and and I know you. You have been vocal, and there are some folks who've been even more vocal, especially with the native English speaker thing, right? So we want we want teachers who are native English speakers, and I think all of us who particularly have grown up in countries that are multi and bilingual. Mm-hmm. What you want is a certain accent. Right. But you can't say it without sounding like a jackass. Or a right? Let's like, be real. Right? Yeah. Like be you, real. Can't, you can't say you can't say what I want is exactly. someone that sounds like James Bond and Daniel Craig or whatever. Exactly. So what I'm going to say is, because I know mm. some of you never actually have thought about this because you haven't been in this space. What you're saying is, well, a native English speaker, and then this is how you come around it, i.e. an American, mm-hmm. a Canadian, mm-hmm. a Brit, an Australian, and New Zealand, right? Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, oh, so does that apply to maybe somebody who's German? Right. And speaks it because... Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Does that apply to, you know, and even with a Canadian, they could be French-Canadian and they know English. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Right. You say you have to unpack it. You have to unpack what it says, what it means, and <laughs> who they want, and keep going. <laughs> you know? yeah, right? It's like, and then, and then, why? Why do you want that? Exactly, because it's so, in an international school, so it's like the context, the name alone should tell you you're going to be around everybody. You know, I mean, you already know my thoughts about this because I'm pretty sure I shouted it out at one of your conferences one time where, where I said, look. <laughs> We can cut the kumbaya crap. Look, here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. Here's the de- so here's the deal. Are we, we say we're trying to create global citizens. Mm-hmm. Are we, or are we just trying to replicate the yeah. systems that we have in exactly. place because they're comfortable for us? And are we actually trying to create nice Western citizens, mm. even when the kids are not Western, right? So here's my point. You can have a school in Asia it can be predominantly Asian, right? Mm-hmm. But if curriculum is reflective from a Western stance completely and it's taught through a Western lens mm-hmm. with Western accents, yeah. y'all need to kind of stop with this whole, like, we're international, we're diverse. And we're, no, 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 no. Yeah. You're trying to replicate really nice a Western model right? that may or may not be applicable. And 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 to your point, I think, the work that you're doing and the work that ALOC is doing, it's not even for me just about the educators or the leaders, but it is about the students, right? Because fundamentally, anyone who becomes an educator, truly, at least one who's a healthy educator, it's about the students. And if we've got students in international schools, right, why wouldn't you want to expose them to different different accents, different languages, leadership that reflects the greater community, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the world we live in. Exactly. You know, that's all I would say. You got to unpack when people say intercultural, <laughs> competence, <laughs> global. You know the words. Global, <laughs> citizens, global citizenship. You have to unpack it. Like, what is that actually? Oh my mean? gosh. Right. Global, global citizenship kind of kills me sometimes. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I get it in theory, but then I'm like, eh, that's not what you're doing, though. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's not when what you're, you're doing. Not even aware of like local artists, musicians, you know, wherever you're situated. And it's like, there's no. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I will say, I feel like 
because there is a growing awareness and because there are groups like ALOC, it's getting better. When I look at my peers who are my age, a little bit younger, and kind of coming through international schools during those times, the bubble was, I'm not saying the bubble has gone away, but the bubble was hardcore real in some places. And so let me ask you this, you know, you've got the annual conference. There is so much work that you're doing with ALOC and clearly you've explained why there's a need for it. What do you think's in the future for y'all? What do you think? What do you, what do you think as someone who, who has done this work, what do you think's in the future? Yeah, no, good question. I think for us, you know, when I look around our big three, which is advocacy, learning, and research. So when I look day to day, week to week, month to month, those are the three words I'm looking at, you know, so, um, so growing when it comes to, cause we're, we had our meeting today and our advocacy is about to be yeah. fire. That's all I'm going to yeah. say. That's cool. It's going to be fire. But um, when it comes to self-advocating, you know, being able to advocate for yourself, um, group situations, we're really growing and um, honing the, that component, that act, um, aspect of it. And so to see what that's going to look like in action, I'm just, yeah, I'm super excited for that. Um, research, we got some folks, um, Dion and Tanisha, who are, yeah. I'm going to sure shout out folks, Advocacy, Rama and Cynthia. There can be some other folks added, but yeah. Dion and Tanisha um, leading up the research, um, as well as some others, and Odell and uh, Nayong. But um, because again, I think the big thing was us researching us, you know, because there was some reports that I saw that came out early on um, when we were around talking about us, but nobody looked like us had any do with the, anything to do with the report. <laughs> and so the great thing is like a lot of doctoral PhD yeah. students who are doing, you're seeing more and more studies for us by us. And so again, it's to yeah. amplify and put that out there. You, you know, know you're making me, you're making, you're making me think of now Dr. Tiffany Smith, right? watching yeah. her dissertation oh, yeah. and really yeah. right you know I've, i'm thinking yeah. about all these folks darnell who was on he was now yeah. doctor as well. i mean fine. they all get i've been i've they been doing this long them. enough to get phd right right love too and like how can we support you know and so anytime we get someone pings me and say hey this that or you know when you ping yeah. me or anyone's pinging me doing something with the higher ed we're like shifting it out and pushing it to folks you know so they yeah. know and are aware and attending those, um, you know, their celebrations and things like that. I went to, you know, Tiffany's and yeah. Dr. Smith's. And then the learning aspect, I think that's, again, a constant. I should not look up, you know, and people ping us at times. They don't feel comfortable saying, we always say, if you don't feel comfortable saying something, bring to us. So I should <laughs> not look up and y'all doing something in Asia and y'all ain't got an Asian on the panel. I'm confused. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm not. We done seen right. this so many you times. This is in Africa. We're but talking I'm confused about, when I'm looking right. at the panelists. Like, and not, a, not a one, not a one. <laughs> not make a, that not. make sense for me, please. <laughs> and so for us, it is because I'm, I think we've gotten to the point now where we want to sort of put out, because I know when I get asked to speak, I always ask, coming back to us, because our focus really, um, again, there's a whole bunch of isms we know, but racial and gender yeah. you know, equity is sort of our core. Yeah. Not to say there's not a whole bunch of other stuff going on. We acknowledge that and make sure we amplify accordingly. But so when I get asked to speak, I always ask basically who else is going to be there? 
you know. That's legit. And to oh, be yeah. honest, I'm at the stage where I just bring my own panel. They be like, you go See? speak. Yeah, I, be, <laughs> that, I told <laughs> you I'm going to speak. I brought, <laughs> I actually brought the, the panel. Table. The I table said, is Let with me. me. Right. <laughs> I don't even wait to sit at the table. They're like, can you speak? I said, I can. But what i rather do is bring right. these four people. Mm-hmm. And so. You walk look, in with our chairs. I bring it with place, the table. Man. Table clip. Look, I got the chicken, the sides, yeah, the everything. Menu. It's like. <laughs> Who got the silverware? I, I know these people hate me right now. I literally got asked to speak the other day and I said, good idea. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring a panel. That's what yeah. you're going to get. Exactly. It's not even going to be me. Right. Because I think what you do is the same thing as you give people the space to hear multiple voices. Because I don't think That's you right. and me are not gatekeepers. Exactly. We're not, and I don't want to be a gatekeeper. At all. Right. At all. Too it's much about work. community. That's all I'm saying. If it's, <laughs> if it's about me, that's a problem. It's about right. we. Right. You know, so, yeah. So I'm going to ask you, and I promised I'd ask this million dollar question and I had to do it with Darnell. So I'm going to ask you this. And I guess you could take a different spin because you you are hardcore consulting and doing what you're is right now. So you've been an educator. You've worked with diverse populations, both internationally and locally and nationally. So the question is always, okay, Black educators, especially, I'm going to pick on them, but I can actually pick on maybe some of your your Latinos as well, specifically Latina who are coming from the States. Well, why are y'all teaching abroad? Like, mm-hmm. don't we got kids here? Right. They need to see you and experience you and have you. Right. Exactly. But the, good, <laughs> the great thing is. <laughs> You're like, I got the answer. <laughs> I know. You know. You know. So, I mean, the great thing with me, with sort of my story and journey is I'm not 100% overseas anymore. So yeah. I feel like I, you know, for personal reasons, after my last after I left my last international school, it did. It left a bad stain, you know, in my mouth um, with the leadership. And people can look up right on my LinkedIn and see where that was at. Because I don't <laughs> even have, <laughs> I, I don't even, you know, again, I just tell it like it is. And so, but for me, when I left that institution, I knew in order for me to work in education anywhere, um, for as much as y'all want to interview me, this is a two-way street. I got some questions too. I noticed on your school improvement plan, tell me more about your vision in action. You know what I mean? So again, Mm -hmm. so as I'm being interviewed, I have questions too. And so if you can't meet my standard, it's a no. But uh, the great thing is, you know, now I, when it comes to more of the international schools, it is more in a consultant thought partnership um, work environment. And then I'm back. My feet are, you know, I got my feet in the U.S. too. So the work that I'm doing with mid-school math, the work I'm doing with urban teachers, especially around um, Black male educators talk. Um, and then we're doing some stuff for urban teachers with um, males of color in, in education. So I'm mentoring some new teachers. I was back in the classroom during the, the height of the pandemic from 2019 to 2021. I have teachers that I remember. I was a little shocked because we had a call and I was like, where are you at in the classroom? It's lunch. I was like, the heck? I know. I was like, wait, what? I was like, I was like that's a class. Okay. I mean. I know. I know. And so I'll be with them soon, you know, coming up. I'm a, the sort of the, towards the end of the year, I tend to go back in, um, work right back with those teachers in their classroom. So I see them soon. So I, um, that's the nice part is I still, I've, and I feel like I've always had my feet in both places. Yeah. So when I came home, it was like, what opportunities, how can I give, how can I serve in some capacity? And so even future, I mean, there's, um, 
a nonprofit idea that I've had for the last year, but it's just finding the time and the space to, to craft it. But it deals with, um, again, something that when I went back into the classroom, I saw missing, even yeah. in schools that are tagged international backward IB, you know, globally, yeah. you know, I saw that it was missing, um, especially when it came to boys of color um, that I look forward to crafting and presenting to the world. And I think that that's what's powerful about the work you do. Yeah, we we focused it on ALOC, but you're doing and implementing a lot of the things with what you're doing internationally, nationally in the States, right? As well as in other places, but particularly in the States. And so one thing I have realized with especially these educators of color, they always find a way, particularly if they're American, to leverage and use their gifting to still sort of support the populations that they left at home, whether it's consulting, coaching, teaching, creating content, Mm -hmm. as well as being these amazing educators abroad. So, all right, Kevin, we did it. We actually told your story. It's succinctly enough. (laughs) That's that's the story right now. (laughs) So here's, here's what I like to tell you. The, uh, those of you who are listening in as our audience, the deal is this a lock, First of all, if you go to our website, you can find ALOC. If you go to our social media, you can find ALOC, which is the Association of International Educational Leaders of Color. Yes, I got it. Dot org, right? ALOC.org. He is on social media. If you look up Kevin Simpson and you can get that acronym or literally just follow us. But we will also have all your stuff, your your links in our show notes. They are already on the website, but with your, you know, We'll still make it up there, you know, and when this podcast episode drops. And so, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for the time. And You've just, just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, know, past, Amanda present, Bates. And future. It is edited by yeah, Stephanie no, I'm Fichia. excited. I know that 20... Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter believe it or on not, your favorite it's podcast It's going to be really platform. amazing with what you've got coming You can also follow us on oh, yeah. Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter, or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. 